0: It's about time for a youth pastor update, so we want to let you know what's going on in our search for a youth pastor here at Creekside. So uh, a couple things we've done. We've formed a committee, okay, so a a youth pastor search team that consists of myself, Bob Short, Karen Clarkson, Rhonda Gentosi, and Ryan Carter, and we've been at work. So what we've been doing uh, thus far is we've, uh, we've finalized the job description, and we're posting that uh, to a select group of Bible colleges and seminaries. So we'll expand that field if we need to, depending on the the response that we get. Um, But this is the team that's kind of taking care of the initial uh, steps of that uh, process. So what we're asking of you now is a couple of things, Um, is to continue to pray for us and pray that God will open the right doors and close the wrong ones in bringing uh, who he has in mind to serve at Creekside, to be a full-time youth pastor and, and minister to uh, this important group of people. And also to share uh, what uh, we have, a, a uh, basically job description and more details and how to apply at a website. The easiest way to do that is, is to use creeksidedm.com slash youthpastor. And um, so that's got all the information on it. And uh, finally, we're asking for the folks that have pledged a one-time gift to help support that position. We're asking that if you could make that contribution by the end of September, uh, that would give us that would greatly help us in in supporting an initial hire. And for the folks who have uh, pledged a ongoing monthly. Amount we're not asking for that until we actually bring on a new hire which Lord willing will not be too far into the future So if you have any questions um, Feel free to reach out to myself or any any of the aforementioned team members and thank you and Mark you're up
1: Good morning Welcome to Creekside Church just a couple quick announcements to get started here kids you are dismissed to Sunday school Uh, Speaking of kids, uh, congratulations to the Packer family on the birth of Silas. Uh, Happy for them this week. Uh, And then for, uh, speaking of kids, older kids, those uh, going into college, Heather Durr talked last week about a college support, college care ministry that we are starting up at Creekside. And if you didn't get a chance to sign up to adopt uh, a kid for a month, There is another uh, student we will be adding to the list, so there is a sign-up out there if you would still like to do that. Uh, If you're visiting this morning and got a bulletin when you came in, we'd appreciate it if you tear off that little tear-off flap and just give us your name and information so we can follow up with you, answer any questions you might have. Um, Also, you know, you saw the video about Ryan Carter talking about her fall ministries. It's real close, just right around the corner. We're excited about it, uh, to see this room, this building full on Wednesday nights again very soon here. And if you aren't involved in ministry, we would love to have you uh, come alongside us and and serve with us in the youth ministries and children's ministries here on Wednesday nights. And I'm going to open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ and worship your name together to praise the one who sent his son into the world, to die for our sins, that we might have everlasting life. Uh, We ask your blessing on this sermon and this passage this morning in 1 Samuel 25, that you would open our minds, that you would open our hearts to hear, to receive the truth, the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was, uh, one day my dog uh, got through one of the many weak points in my neighbor's dilapidated pool fence and got into his pool Uh, on his pool tarp in uh, a 50 degree day. So it was kind of chilly out and he had to jump in in his clothes and get my dog out. And then after that he set the dog loose in the neighborhood. He was kind of upset about it. Pretty mad actually. When my wife realized what had happened and gone out to retrieve my dog, Um, he came over and yelled at her. And uh, yelled at my wife and told her to get rid of that dog. And I heard the story afterwards, and, you know, I'd had a few minor run-ins with this guy before, just normal backyard activities, petty things, you know. But uh, yelling at my wife, that was a little bit different story. That kind of got the uh, juices flowing, the anger juices, you know, and I was immediately thinking of going over and giving him a piece of my mind. And you might not think I have it in me, but don't be fooled, I do. Uh, I, I was really thinking about going over there and telling him something, I won't tell you what, but but, you know, my wife, the godly woman she is, helped me to see a better way. She helped me to calm down, cool down a little bit about that, and, and actually suggested going over and thanking the man for saving the dog out of the pool. And so I did that. I cooled down. I went over. I thanked him for saving my dog out of the pool, and we had a nice, peaceful conversation. Had I not done that, you know, it wouldn't have gone so well. Had I not done that, I might not have had an opportunity to be a witness for Christ to him again. And so I thank God for a a woman like that in my life. And we're looking today at 1 Samuel 25, a, a similar situation, but on a bigger scale, not much greater than my petty circumstances. But if you would open with me to 1 Samuel 25, it's somewhat of a unique story in the life of David. It's one of my favorite passages on the life of David. Uh... The context is that the great prophet Samuel has died. That's how it starts out in verse 1. Samuel, the prophet who anointed the next king of Israel, David. And uh, we see David who's now grown up. He's no longer the shepherd boy. He's, He's a war hero. He's the one who's conquered and defeated in single combat. The great giant Philistine, Goliath, nine and a half foot tall giant. He's the one who's won many victories over the Philistines. He's been put head over the army. He's been part of Saul's bodyguard. Everyone everywhere knows who David is, and they also know that he's the anointed king to replace Saul. But as David's notoriety grew, so did Saul's jealousy, and Saul became very jealous, and it forced David away to save his life. There was actually a song that was going around town after one of David's victories. You may remember this if you're familiar with the story, that the the woman were singing a song. Do you you remember how it went? Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. That song was going around town after a victory one time and that didn't sit too well with Saul. Uh, that, That stirred up his jealousy. And so Saul was persecuting, hunting, seeking to kill David. And... So David's on the run, he's hiding out, and where we find ourselves in chapter 25, it says in verse 1, David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. This is a desert area on the southwest border of Israel, and the shepherds there taking care of their sheep, and what would happen sometimes is that the marauders, maybe from the Amalekites or the Philistines, would come over the border and raid the shepherds' flocks from time to time. And so as David and his men, and he has 600 men with him. These are, these are disgruntled men. He's kind of rounded up under himself, rough and tough kind of men, 600 of them. And they're down there in this desert area. And by, just by their presence being there, they, pr- they form a protective shield around these shepherds. And it was custom in that day that if a lord like that was in your area and provided protection like that, that in return for protecting the farmers and the livestock from these marauders, that the farmers on the payday, the day they sheared their sheep, and then all the money came in, the sheep, the, the, the wool, the meat, and they cashed in on it, they would share with their protectors. And so in this situation today, we see David and his men providing protection to this wealthy rancher named Nabal. But as we'll see, the outcome doesn't go as expected. Let's read verses 1 through 8. Starting in verse 2. Now, there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shears, your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them, all the while we were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. So it's payday. It's feast day. Nabal, the rich, uh, just for the sake of alliteration, I'm calling him the rich, rude rancher. The rich, rude rancher. And verse 8 says it's a feast day. This is the payday. It's like getting paid all at once. Uh, If you were to have a job where you only got paid once a year and it came in all at once, Maybe you're, if you're working on commission, you get a taste of that or you get a larger chunk or if you're blessed enough to get an annual bonus in your company, you get a lump sum coming in. And, but for these farmers, it came in all at once. And so they're partying, they're celebrating, they're living it up in the town on their payday. And David sends 10 young men because he, they've been out in this wilderness protecting his men, protecting his flocks while they're in the area. They needed something to do after, the while, after a while. a while. And so he's making a very reasonable request to pay him back and his men back. 600 mouths to feed. That's a lot of mouths to feed. But unfortunately, they run into Nabal, who's a very unreasonable man. He's the rich, reed rancher. He was very rich, it says. He, he, uh, how rich? Well, he says he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. Today, a rancher might say, well, that's just a regular rancher. But in those days, that was a lot. He had a lot of servants. Uh, we see later on his wife even had five of her own maidservants. This was a man who was very wealthy in the region. But in verse 3, we see some insight into his character. He was very rich and powerful, but the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb, it says, but he didn't live up to his godly heritage, did he? He's not like his forefather Caleb. Caleb. You know, if you want to know what a man's really like to work for, you can ask his employees. It's interesting in my workplace what people say, feel free to say about their manager or another manager. Uh, you get some insight into how the manager is. Especially if the manager's on their way out, then it's really kind of free. But you look at Nabal, and here's, here's the endorsement his employees give him in verse 17. It says, For he is such a scoundrel, that one cannot speak to him. Now, scoundrel can be translated son of Belial, which can be further translated son of the devil. So Nabal's employees are saying he's such a son of the devil, you can't even speak to him. Not the best endorsement. And if you really want to know what a person's like, you can talk to their wife, right? And uh, so let's ask his, Nabal's wife, Abigail. Abigail, in verse 25, speaking to David, says, please, Let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. The the word Nabal actually means fool. And I don't know if his parents named him that. Maybe not. Maybe that's just a nickname at this point. But his name actually means fool. Not the best endorsement. So we look and see what's this rich, rude rancher going to say back to David's men. We see in verses 10 to 12, Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away, each one from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? So David's young men turned on their heels and went back and they came and told him all these words. You just see the, the rebuke, the disrespect, the disrespect, that just spews out from Nabal toward Dave, to David's young men. He says, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? Well, he, everybody knows who David is, the champion warrior, the leader of the armies, the anointed king-elect. But he insults David. He calls him a common runaway, breaking away from his master. He insults his father. Who is Jesse, his father? Not an important man. He insults David's men. And then just look how ungrateful he is for the protection service David provided all that time. And he attributes everything to himself. He says, I take, I slaughtered, I give, I know. It's my bread, it's my water, my meat, my shears. Now that's a lot of I's and my's in a statement from Nabal. Nabal was a fool, wasn't he? He had lived up to his name. He was so blessed to have David and his men there to protect his flock so that they could have that kind of a payday. But he was unwilling to do what was right. Let's think about for a moment what a fool is. It's not that Nabal was stupid or that he was ignorant or naive. That's not what's meant here by calling Nabal a fool. When we refer to someone like Nabal as a fool, it means that he's morally deficient, that he's prideful, that he's arrogant, that he recognizes no authority but his own, kind of like Saul. You know, the bible has a lot to say about fools psalm 14 1 says the fool has said in his heart there is no god that's the starting place for a fool to have no regard for god no respect no understanding no devotion to god the bible also says that the tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing but the mouth of a fool belches out foolishness proverbs 15 2. the tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing but the mouth of a fool belches out foolishness. And that's what we see in Nabal. And one of my favorites in Proverbs 26:11, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. You know, just think about the vivid imagery there in that proverb. And, and I've seen it in my house with my dog, and I just, I'm like, I don't know why. That just doesn't make sense. As a dog returns to its vomit, that's just no, no, no. Don't do that. And uh, a fool, the the illustration there is in the same way as of a fool. A fool repeats his foolishness. Just like how foolish it would seem for a dog to do such a thing. Why do that? So does a fool. A fool returns to his foolishness. Well, before we completely condemn Nabal, I think we need to look at ourselves too. You know, do we have any Nabals here? Or do you know a Nabal? Someone who's living for themselves only. Somebody who's stubborn. You can't be reasoned with. Even if somebody is reasonable you say whatever you're, is on your mind even if it's rude you know we need not to be offensive to people not be fools like that but you know the biggest way he was a fool was in his godlessness he was not living under god's will he was only living for himself he was successful in the world's eyes he had made it he had the wealth the possessions the riches the name bible warns us though that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil And the Bible would tell us, for a fool like Nabal, that we need to turn away from that kind of sinful, self-directed life and turn to God and devote ourselves to God while there's still time and not be a fool. You know, sometimes even we as Christians can be a fool like Nabal. I mean, I find myself sometimes caring more about my comfort, more about my time, more about my peace, having my needs met, than sacrificing any of that to help someone else in need. You know, sometimes we give a word of insult. Sometimes we refuse to help. You know what it is, though, it's that selfish sin nature that's still in us. We ask the question, why are we like that sometimes? You know, how is it that we can in one moment be so God-minded and be mindful of His will and in the control of His Spirit in our lives and then in the next moment a careless, foolish word belches out, as that proverb says. And it's that sinful nature that's still in us that's warring against our, our spirit, as it says in Romans 7. As, as the proverb says, may we set a guard over the door of our mouth that we might not sin. So I, I, that's Nabal, the rich, rude rancher. I want to talk for a moment now about David, the next person in our story. And and for alliteration's sake, I'm naming David the hangry heir. Now, if you're not familiar with the word hangry, it's a combination of the word hungry and angry. There's kind of a synergy that comes together when you combine hungry and angry, and it becomes the word hangry. And so he's the hangry heir, the heir, the king to be. Now, what do you think David's response is going to be to such an insult and uh, rejection from Nabal? If you were reading through 1 Samuel... And you saw David's character up to this point. You might expect David would just, okay, uh, that's pretty rude, pretty selfish, but I will forgive the man and trust God to provide for me another way. Because after all, he's provided for me through all these other miraculous circumstances. That's the David you would expect. David, though, is kind of like an amnesiac. (laughs) Because if you look back just the chapter before in chapter 24... He is the most gracious, merciful man you've ever seen. King Saul has been pursuing him and hunting him down with 3,000 of his choice men and David with just his 600 men. David's like a flea to Saul. And he he has him kind of cornered down and David and his men are hiding out in a cave and Saul As so God directed the events to happen, Saul had a a nature called and he he needed to go relieve himself in a a cave for privacy and it happened to be the very cave David was hiding out in. David had the perfect opportunity to take out Saul in that cave. But instead he said, "I, I won't lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. You know, he just trusted God that he would bring him into the kingship a different way, a better way without having to murder Saul he was trusting God he was living in God's will he refused revenge he even went so far as to risk reconciliation he reconciled with Saul partially at that time so that's what we would expect of him but uh, some commentators even say the events in chapter 25 are just a week later so maybe just a week later after that great act of mercy on Saul here's what we see of David in verse 13. David said to his men every man Gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed behind with the supplies. Again, 600 men is a lot of mouths to feed. And Nabal has insulted David's reputation. And David, for whatever reason, takes his eyes off God at this point. And he's just reacting in his anger. Anger. In verses 21 to 22, we get a little insight into what David's thinking here. It says, Now David had said, Surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him, and he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so, and more also to the enemies of David, if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. It's a very ugly moment for David. He's right that Nabal repaid him evil for good. But does that now give him the right to go and not wipe out not just Nabal, but he's going on the war path here to wipe out all of Nabal's men. He's going out to commit a massacre. But before we're so quick to judge David, just like we may maybe quick to judge Nabal, we need to examine ourselves. What would you have felt if you had been wronged similarly? What, what would you have said if you were in David's shoes? What would you have done if you had been so insulted and rebuked like that? And you're angry. You know, sometimes we're too, just like in the situation with Nabal there, we're sometimes so spiritual in one moment. And so God-minded in one moment, but so in the flesh in the next. We behave in ways sometimes that are so contrary to who we are as God's children. We have to be very careful with angry. We live in such an angry, vengeful culture, don't we? You see it all the time. I mean, you get a little taste of it if you take too long as a red light turns green. Just a little taste of it. You get a lot more of it when you express a viewpoint that someone else doesn't agree with. People today are angry, especially when they feel wronged in some way, like David. The Bible, just like it says about fools, has a lot to say about fools, has a lot to say about being angry in psalms 37 it says stop being angry turn from your rage do not lose your temper it only leads to harm for the wicked will be destroyed but those who trust in the lord will possess the land that's a heavenly perspective isn't it stop being angry turn from your rage do not lose your temper it only leads to harm because we believe that one day the wicked will be destroyed and those who trust in the lord will receive blessing We can commit and leave injustices and wrongdoing in the hands of the Lord. The Bible also says in Ephesians 4, don't don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry for anger gives a foothold to the devil. That's a good life verse, a good daily life verse. Don't sin by being angry. Don't let the sun go down. Don't let the day close while being angry. Make things right. Don't give the devil a foothold in your life to create bitterness and further anger and possible uh, sinful actions in James 1 I love this verse understand this my dear brothers and sisters you must be quick to listen slow to speak slow to get angry human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires what if we all live that way that we were quick to listen slow to speak slow to get angry so that God could produce the righteousness in us that he desires that's the flip side, the other way of saying that verse. Uh, on the matter of being wronged as believers, I was thinking of 1 Corinthians 6. In the first half of that chapter, you get Paul addressing believers in the, in the Corinthian church who were suing each other, taking each other to court. And he says, that, that shouldn't be. Even over simple matters, they were taking each other to court over being wronged about something. And he says, why would you do that? Isn't there someone in your church, some saints in your church who could help you decide the small matters like that? Why would you want to take your matters before an ungodly judge? You're you're believers, you're the people of God. But then he even goes a further step in verse 7. In verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 6, he says, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves Be cheated that's a very radical countercultural perspective to what we see today isn't it what what if instead of taking each other to court over matters over something we feel wronged about what what if we just let ourselves be cheated or wronged and just trust God with the matter wouldn't that be radical (laughs) you know there's always going to be a Nabal like person to test us to test our patience We all can think of someone uh, like my grumpy neighbor who is kind of a fool in ways, somebody who irritates us, somebody who's not easy to get along with, somebody who's unreasonable. Maybe it's a demanding manager at work who, uh, or a manager accuses you of something that you didn't do. Maybe it's a professor who set out to make your life miserable for you in college. Uh, Maybe it's your spouse who's just so unreasonable like Nabal, you can't even talk to the person, can't even reason with the person. Someone who is selfish and rude. How do we respond to that test? I believe that sometimes God allows those kind of people in our lives to test us, to reveal to us what's really in our hearts. Sometimes God brings that person along in your life to, like my neighbor, to help me realize, wow, what was my first reaction? It was to go over and give him a piece of my mind. Uh, but, you know, I needed to see that. And to realize that God has a better way. You know it reveals to us our need those kind of people reveal to us our need for god's grace in our lives doesn't it god's a god of remarkable grace you know i cross paths with difficult people in my job maybe you do too and sometimes when somebody has been a knucklehead to use steve's word and uh i just feel i find myself typing up some thoughts in an email uh, you know to send back to them and it's not the most gracious thing but I don't send it right away. I've learned over the years I don't send an email like that right away. I step back and wait a few hours and let myself cool down about whatever the person's bad decision was or bad, you know, wrong thing they were deciding to do. And I just take a step back and I pray about it. I ask God for wisdom on how I'm going to respond to that person. And after two or three hours, I usually end up not sending an email at all. Maybe I'll just call the person and work it out with them personally or find a much more gracious way and productive way of responding to that person. That, that's godly wisdom When we do that, we need that in our lives. Godly wisdom, not the hangry attitude David had. Okay, let's look at our last character this morning, Abigail. Abigail Abigail's the shining star. David did not get the star on this day. Abigail, Nabal's wife, does though. She's quite the contrast to Nabal. I don't know how the two were paired together. It must have been an arranged marriage. Because we see in verse 3 that Abigail was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. And the name Abigail even means my father is joy or my divine father is joy. You know, as believers, we're we're told not to be unequally yoked in our marriages. That means a a believer shouldn't be uh, married to an unbeliever, right? Um, But this is probably an arranged marriage. And you have to give Abigail credit for living with such a man (laughs) and thriving thriving through it. Um, You know, it goes to show that even if you have a spouse like a Nabal, an unreasonable, rude, ungodly spouse, you can rise above those circumstances and have keep your godly perspective, even with a really bad marriage partner. Um, so that's an encouragement there on Abigail's part. So a servant of Nabal hears and sees what David's about to do. They, that he gets word somehow of David uh, rounding up his men and coming to wipe them out. And so he doesn't run to Nabal, the unreasonable one, the rude one, to try to warn him because he's drunk and he's unreasonable at this point, celebrating. He goes to his wife Abigail, the prudent one, and for alliteration, I am referring to Abigail as the prudent peacemaker, the prudent peacemaker. So the servant comes to Abigail in verse 14 saying, look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us. And we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. They were a wall to us, both by night and day. All the time we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, no one consider what you will do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. We see Abigail in the story now and her gallantry, and uh, there are four things she does to bring peace to the situation. And I'll go through them quickly here. Four H's. And the first thing is her haste. Her haste. In verses 18 to 19, says, Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five sias of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. And she said to her servants, Go on before me. I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. Some situations, when we know it's the right thing to do, when we know what God's will is, what we, we must move with haste. Sometimes we find someone in difficult circumstances that are very timely and challenging and difficult and are impending disaster, like in this case. And as believers, sometimes we're called to move with haste and take godly action and courage at the right time. Abigail moved with haste. Secondly, her humility. Humility. Look at verses 20 to 26. Verse 20 says, So it was, As she rode on the donkey that she went down under the cover of the hill, and there were David and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. Verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. So she fell at his feet and said, On me, my lord, on me let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my lord regard this scoundrel Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. So Abigail sends her five maid servants ahead with all this food that's prepared to bring to David. David's on the march. He's traveling to wipe out. He's on the war path. And she moves with haste and then she acts with complete humility. She bows down. She refers to him as Lord many times. She has a soft answer. Proverbs 15:1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. How true that is. How a soft answer turns away wrath. Maybe you're, maybe you're in that marriage where someone's unreasonable and difficult and rude. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word Stirs up anger. Abigail's soft answer turns away David's wrath, as we'll see. She's a peacemaker, and we and that starts with humility. On someone's part, it starts with humility. Thirdly, her handout, I searching for an H-word, her handout, it's, it's her offering of food. And it says in verse 27, she presents this offering to David, and she says, Let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. She brought food. That's what David and his men wanted in the first place was some food, some sustenance. And she makes an offering of food. You know, sometimes there's nothing like a a full meal to pacify people's anger, right? And and ice cream to follow, right? Break out the ice cream and and it sometimes melts away that hanger that might have been building up in your household. Good food and ice cream. I don't know about the fig cakes. Fig cakes were prized in those days, but I'll take ice cream. All right, fourthly, her heavenly perspective. That's the fourth H, her heavenly perspective. And she gives this little speech to David. It's a beautiful speech. We could take a a whole sermon to unpack it, but I just want to summarize it here. I'll, I'll read it to you and then call out a couple things quickly. Let's look in verse 28. She says, Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. Because my Lord, that's David, fights the battles of the Lord and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life, that's Saul. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause, or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Now there's a lot there, but basically Abigail is reminding David that he can trust the Lord to take care of him and provide for him. He always has, and he has promised to do so in the future. David you're bound up in the bundle of the living. Don't worry about Saul hunting you down to take your life. You're bound up in the bundle of the living with God. And your enemies, don't worry about those, David. He'll sling them out like, the, like from a sling. And there's kind of a clear echo there of David from his victory over Goliath, slinging him out from the pocket of a sling. That's, that's just like he took out Goliath. God will take out your enemies. And then lastly, she appeals to his conscience. She says, David, when you're king someday... You're not going to want to have to look back on this incident of you wiping out Nabal and all his men and have that guilt, to have that blood stain on your record, on your conscience. And I think this is one of the most beautiful, wise responses she could have given in a situation like this. You know, her humility, her acknowledgement of God as the provider, as the protector, as the one who uh, wants to preserve him from this guilt he would have had if he had gone on the warpath and wiped him out. So now what will be David's response to this wise, beautiful woman and her appeal to David? And David comes back to being the David we know and love. We see in verse 32 to 34 that he forgives the man. David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice and blessed are you. Because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought him, the food, and said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your persons. You see how far a humble sacrificial, godly person's advice and attitude can have on somebody else. Somebody like David, who's a fierce warrior. David, who is on the warpath. Abigail just kind of melts his heart, penetrates his heart with her attitude and her words. And so he stops his march to wipe out Nabal. He regains a proper perspective, trusting God again, putting his eyes back on God. He realizes that he can trust God to provide, That God will fulfill his promises to make him king. And that we can trust God to deal with rich, rude ranchers, fools like Nabal. We see a little bit of the aftermath here. That's the climax of the story. But I I like how the Bible here in this passage provides us a little bit of the after details of this situation. Uh, Look at the end of the chapter here. David was going to go deal with Nabal himself. That would have been a bad thing. It wouldn't have gone well. But God ended up dealing with Nabal. See, in verse 36, Abigail went to Nabal. There he was, holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing, little or much until morning light. So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal, and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became like a stone. Then it happened after about ten days that the Lord struck Nabal, and He died. David didn't have to go wipe out Nabal. God took care of that. That's what we see in verse 39, that uh, David praises God because he didn't have to avenge himself after all. After he heard that Nabal was dead, it says, Blessed be the Lord, who has pleaded the cause of my approach from the hand of Nabal and kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. You know, it says in Romans 12.1 that vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You know, when we feel slighted, wronged, offended in this life, okay, we can commit that to the Lord. We know that in the end, he's going to work it all out and repay everyone according to a perfect justice. If we, when we try to bring justice, it's imperfect. We don't do it right. God does it right. We can always trust in him as the sovereign judge, as the righteous judge. We can trust in his timing and in his perfect way to work things out. We don't have to take things into our own hands. And so we can trust God, too, and to deal with the Nabals. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Romans 12, 17 to 20. And he kind of asked the question, does God really take people out like that? He took out Nabal, a stroke probably, and then he died 10, years later, 10 days later. Does God take people out like that? Well, he certainly did here, and there's a few other times in the Bible I see it, maybe more. In Daniel 5, we see one of the greatest kings ever, King Nebuchadnezzar, at the height of his power, the height of his pride. And then God gives him the mind of a beast for seven years. He, he actually literally crawls on his hands and feet and eats grass. And he has a wild mind for seven years. God took him out. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira had sold some land to give to the church. Everybody was doing that. And so they sold some land and gave it to the church too. But they lied about how much of the proceeds they had got from the sale of the house to the apostles. And it was a very serious thing. And so the Holy Spirit killed Ananias and Sapphira, took them out. God killed Herod the Great. Does he do that in the, today, in the church today? In 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul is giving a warning to those who are taking communion. And in verse 29, he says, For he who eats and drinks, communion, in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Sleep is another word for death. Because there were some of the people in the Corinthian church who were living such immoral lives without repentance, such, showing such disregard for the Lord's table, the communion, that God, some of them were even sick and weak, and God even took some of them out. Does he do that today? I don't know. Maybe, probably, in some cases. Maybe that's a good place to start if we're in some kind of infirmity. It's not, certainly not always the case, but we certainly could start there and examine our hearts before God. And we do this as elders when we visit and pray with someone who's sick or needs healing, We asked him up front, I said, is there anything, any reason, any sin that you need to confess before God? Because maybe God is disciplining us for sin in our lives. Now on that note, let's transition to our time of communion. (laughs) Um, I I will in a minute, but no, it's it's a serious thing. We need to take it seriously. God is a holy God. Um, But David in the aftermath here gains a godly wife too. I like how Dr. David Jeremiah puts it. He says, David realized that if, if a woman can speak to me like that and handle me like that and reason with me like that, I need her as my wife. And so David sends for her and Nabal's gone. And so he sends for her and she becomes his wife. And you got to think too, and this is speculative, but she would have inherited the, the wealthy estate of Nabal. And so would have David by she becoming his wife. So think about it all together now. David... Was hungry, he was angry, he was on the war path, not trusting God. But in the end, here we have God taking care of everything. He takes out the enemy, Nabal, and doesn't wipe out all the men, just Nabal. Then he provides him a a beautiful, wonderful wife who can help him through situations like these. I mean, that's a real blessing to have if you have a spouse like that who can help you uh, stay on the right track. And then he provides for him, not just the wife. Not just a godly perspective again, but the material needs he and his men would need to sustain themselves through that property of Nabal until he should rise up to become king one day. God was taking care of everything. Isn't that wonderful? So now really for our communion lead-in though, uh, we do need to examine ourselves. We do need to look into our hearts and say, where am I like a Nabal? Where have I been foolish? Where have I been been double-minded as a believer where I could be, how is it that I in one moment could be so spiritual and uttering words of blessing and encouragement to people on a Sunday morning at church and then later in the week being such a knucklehead to my family. Harsh words spoken to members of my family who I love more than the people I see on Sunday morning at church. How, how is that? It's that inner struggle, isn't it, sometimes like the Apostle Paul described in Romans 7. He says, the good I will to do, I do not do. The evil I will not to do, that I do. And then he comes to the climax of his agony over this struggle inside him, and he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he says, I thank God through my Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's the hope we all have, isn't it? That though we struggle in this life with our sin, the double-mindedness, the Nabal-like foolishness, the David-like anger, there is a day we can look forward to when we'll be free from sin and death. We can trust God that one day he will deliver us from this body of death and he has sent his only son Jesus to be the ultimate peacemaker Abigail is a great picture of Christ I had a teacher in high school Mrs. Coggishell. we would read the book The Red Badge of Courage and on every page there was a Christ figure on it and we got to groaning after a while I don't know how she found some of those Christ figures on some of those pages but in any case Abigail is a beautiful picture of Christ isn't she Just as Abigail came in humility before David, so too Christ humbled himself, became a man, became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross, Philippians 2 says. He humbled himself. Just as Abigail brought a great offering of food to David to pacify David in his anger, so too Christ has made the greatest offering in a much greater way on the cross to pay for the sins of all who believe. And just as Abigail spoke words of truth to bring peace to the situation, so too Christ is the truth. He embodies the truth. He came to bring truth to this world that through him, all who believe in him, all who will turn from their sinful, self-directed life and put their trust and faith in Christ and his death on the cross alone as the payment for their sins, all who will embrace that truth, who will embrace Christ, will have peace with God. Christ is the ultimate peacemaker. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we we thank you that in these ordinary characters, in a historical narrative from so long ago, that we find ourselves, that we find ourselves challenged to examine ourselves, to look at Nabal, the fool, David, the, the angry warrior, the foolish, the fierce warrior, and to look at Abigail and to see a better way to see your way. We see our sinfulness when we look at ourselves, but we see your grace when we look at someone like Abigail. Help us, Lord, to be a peacemaker like Abigail. And help us, Lord, to, um, to shine the light of Christ, to shine the gospel into this world that so needs peace. It's such an angry, sinful, vengeful, spiteful world. And we have the message of light to take out to them, Lord. Help us to be courageous. Help us to move with haste humility a heavenly perspective and offer them the truth that jesus is the way the way the peace with god we take the bread and the cup now as we come forward and take the bread and the cup to remember jesus and his great sacrifice to make peace with god between sinners and a holy righteous god give you thanks in his name amen
0: praise is rising Eyes are turning to